Faith Matters Podcast. I'm your host, John Morgan. This is the podcast for Multi-Faith Matters. I'm the host, John Moorhead, and I have my frequently returning guest and co-conspirator and all things bizarre and wonderful, <laughs> Bill Wyman. Bill, welcome back again. Hey, <laughs> it's good to be part of the things that are bizarre and wonderful. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, we're well it's, good to, it's good to have a friend in, it could be in cahoots with on the things that are bizarre and wonderful. Well, let's be, let's be honest. At our age, it's just good to be back. For anyone, <laughs> yeah. Right? That's it. <laughs> uh, we're going to be talking today about, if you're watching on YouTube rather than just listening to the podcast, Phil's new book. He's got a copy right there, too. Imagine it. <laughs> Love big or go home, the inherent nomadic nature of the gospel, a theology of mission for all people. And it it is fantastic. I'm committed to it, not just because of the podcast, but because uh, he said nice things about me in the acknowledgments, and I've got an endorsement on the back. So thanks for all that. (laughs) You're committed. That's right. Well, let's begin with what, what was the... To, to me, as I looked at this book, it's uh, to me, it reads like kind of a, a biographical kind of element. This is a part of your journey. So was there anything that right. kind of was there an aha moment that inspired you to write it? Or is it just the thoughts have been trickling in over the years or what's the origin story? Um, so the 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 origin for this particular book, it was birthed out of my personal nomadic journeys and they 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 had rather a start stop beginning to them um and this was 2017 i believe or maybe it was 16 going to 17 17 and 18 away you know with the covid thing my brain's all Right for this, but but I um I had been traveling with uh, the motorhome Priscilla the motorhome for a season, uh, or I should say for from Burning Man through October, which is only a two month period, and then I was getting ready to go out again, and all of a sudden I realized I was going to be spending the next couple of years fully nomadic in the um in the fall through spring it would be me and priscilla the motorhome traveling around the united states in um the summer i would be by foot and bus and train in the uk with a small jaunt over to czechia um the czech republic and uh, then I would return to Salem for a month to do events in October, right? And then again in the motorhome, pick up and drive around the country. And and so now I didn't have need for a place. 
except to crash with some friends in October in Salem. And I was, uh, I was headed out uh, that first October where, you know, Priscilla was my roadie hauling sound equipment. And so here I am with the motorhome now realizing I'm going to leave Salem and it's uh, late fall. And in New England, late fall is kind of like the same as rolling into winter. The snow is hitting, you know, oftentimes as early as late October. And I made a quick post on Facebook with the comment, um, with, uh, using that comment, love big or go home. You know, I'm rethinking the go big or go home. And I thought love big or go home. And something, and when I, I posted it, and as soon as I did, something just kind of popped in my head about the necessity of using that as, as, a, as it were, a storyboard of what I was going to experience over the coming months. And I had already been delving into some of the dynamics of nomadism in the early church. And the two just kind of pressed together into one place in which I began to question this issue of how much was this nomadic dynamic of both the Old Testament as well as the New Testament with Jesus wandering around, you know, is once he hits his uh, 40 days in the wilderness, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Right. Right. And, and that's the entirety of his, of his ministry. He is described like that. And then we see the same kind of a thing occurring with the apostles. Paul takes it to a, another level altogether. And then there's a lot of the early church, you know, the um, what we call the desert fathers and mothers, not all of them were, hold up in one place. There was a lot of nomadism going on during that time, and which made me ask the question, to what degree was this inherently a part of the gospel in its initiation and, and within spirituality, both, um, you know, Judaism and Christianity, to what degree was this a fundamental part of it, and how does that inform the way we do the gospel? And is there something inherently wild about that that we've now tamed those are the questions i started asking mm -hmm. and so each of these chapters starts with my telling of where i am in my travels right and it follows me around but that ties in then to these questions about um nomadism in the early church the dynamics of the gospel and how it speaks into that um, and, and how maybe we've missed some of those questions because we live in a settled society and we've, um, we've moved the gospel to make sense of the world we live in. And, and, you know, and then, and then with that, I began to look at things like, um, the, uh, the anthropologies that are developing in, in the demographics of currently nomadic people. Um, you know, that when, when we say nomadism and we talk about it academically, what we have in rubber tramps, people driving around in their motorhomes, you know, living in what, what sometimes they call motor homeless, but they don't consider themselves homeless. Mm -hmm. Their vehicle is their home. Um, our 
uh, our understanding of that kind of nomad is something very different from a, uh, a classical academic description of a nomad, um, which for some people requires that they're, they're shepherds or ranchers of some kind that are traveling with the needs of the flock and the herds to be able to survive through the season. For others, you know, um, in some academia, tinkers who have jobs that take them around traveling or considered nomads. Um, but now we have a new developing classification in America. And it's larger than many states. <laughs> you know, so, so if we're asking the question about what is the gospel going to do when there are a million people minimally, because uh, we can't really count these numbers, you know, and having been among them, I was traveling around and I'd stop and we knew each other on the road. You can see by the way the motorhome was set up or what was in the car or in the van. Um, it had the telltale signs of who these new nomads, American nomads were. Um, and most of them, some of them were looking for a place to settle down, but a lot of them that were out there on purpose and they loved it. So, you know, now we had this massive moving state, as it were, and we don't have any classification for these people under um, our uh, American classifications. We have those who are settled and those who are homeless. And then we have, you know, some, something in a population larger than, New Hampshire, Vermont, or Wyoming, wandering around the country. Um, and there's not a classification or a fitting place for them. We don't know what to do with it. And yet I think the gospel's already spoken to that, right? Right, right. Al already has things that, that I think in, in a very real way, I was finding out they understood some elements of the gospel better than I did because they were living this nomadism. Um, so, you know, it, that's how, that's how it formed and was framed. And so it follows my, my, I'm, I'm studying while I'm traveling and I'm talking to these people and hanging out with them. And, um, and then, uh, you know, there was that, that season of like a little more than a year and a half, I took care of my mom. Um, so at the end of that, I'm taking care of my mom who has dementia in Long Beach. And the book I thought was pretty finished. And then COVID hit and I'm like, oh, great. This isn't exactly a great time to put out a book about, hey, everybody, let's travel. And <laughs> let's travel for Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so, <clears throat> so what made me pull it back out? In fact, you know, I had sent you copies prior to, I, you know, I'd sent you the information it was, it was right. developing prior to the whole COVID thing coming about. And then um, the thing that, that made me go, wow, I guess I do need to pull it back out is in the middle of COVID, of, of all the COVID stuff, Nomadland, the movie, gets best picture, best actress, <laughs> best director. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, <laughs> we're on to something here because I knew some of the people, they're in my book. <laughs> who were in that movie, <laughs> you know?
<laughs> the rubber tramp rendezvous is in the movie i was at the rubber tramp rendezvous <laughs> so <laughs> and the guy who runs it is in the movie i've got pictures of myself hanging out with him <laughs> you know hey bob how's it going <laughs> um so uh yeah it was time to pull it out and that's when it it began it took a little bit different shape and it um it's not a straight line um of my travels from beginning to end i you know there, there's two sections of the book the love bigger go home uh is a development of the section of each each section is four chapters and i start with go then the next chapter is home you know so the go is a reference to this is the impetus of the gospel the first real impetus that we have a, you know kind of a commanding tone of hey there's something we should do and, and I asked the question of where is the go and the gospel, mm -hmm. um, you know, in, in comparison to this nomadic early church, now we've got a, um, a very Americanized homebound kind of church, which sometimes has lost its go. Now, there's still a lot of churches sending people out, right? But we tend to send. Right. And then what do we do? We plant. And that in itself is a very interesting thing because it embeds settledness, which is the, the term for the opposite of nomadism. It embeds a kind of settledness into the gospel. Um, and, and now we frame things not as strangers and pilgrims on this earth, but as landowners and, <laughs> you know, and all that becomes very important to the life of the church itself, right? Um, yeah. so, so, so all of those things were a challenge. Then I, you know, I go to the word, I, I go to that word home and take four chapters to do a, um, as it were, a description of what is home and, and how is that viewed, particularly from the nomadic framework? Is there another way of viewing home? Does the gospel have another way of viewing home than we describe it, right? It, and we know it does. It's significantly different. <laughs> and, and as you, and the interesting thing is, you know, then you're finding studies about homeless people and homeless people have a description of home that looks closer to the gospel than people who have a house. Because now it's not framed about a piece of property, right? Right. Yeah. And, you know, and then I, I, I finish up the bit book with love and big. And so three, three of those sections are based in, um, in travels around the United States. And the last section where I talk about how do we go big with the gospel is now I'm by foot and going from festival to festival in the UK. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that's, that's kind of an outline and, and the impetus for it. But it started with I'm on the road. And everything is very different for me. I've always enjoyed traveling, but now I had a weird moment that occurred just before I started this kind of full-time nomadic stuff for that, you know, few, well, it's not over. <laughs> Still bouncing around places, <laughs> waiting to land in Wales. Um, yeah, I, I want you here. to talk about that when we wrap this up today. But as I was listening to you describe, talk about all that, just kind of thinking it through in my head, 
are, did you discover, do you believe that there are even, there's diversity within nomadism so that some of the people you run into at festivals, Burning Man, those are people usually going from a home to a festival space, right? turning home again. But do, do they have uh, a desire for at least the experience of nomadism, even though they're not constantly in that space? Or, or are you mm. defining it simply as those who are constantly on the move? Um, so... I do spend some time in the book describing the dynamics of nomadism and how, even if we are settled people, the gospel, that the nomadic dynamics of the gospel not only speak to how we deal with the traveler around us, but the potential need for it in ourselves, the, the thing we call pilgrimage, right? Mm -hmm. um, that, that there's something we have to learn from that and something that we can really discover. Um, and so in our own going, and this, this is, this is something that was found in the, in the early church, they were traveling for a variety of reasons. Um, one of the more important ones that I found really interesting was, um, women, who were trying to avoid arranged marriages and the sexual oppression of, you know, that, that first century period in the Roman empire, which must have just been devastating because it was like slavery in a sense and their spirituality and commitment to Christ in those first three centuries um, gave them, gave many of them an out where now they were traveling saints and there were proto-convents that were being established and they could hit the road with a freedom that they didn't have before. And it, it was a deliverance from a kind of uh, sexual oppression of their time. Um, and then you had people who were going to discover um, places where Jesus walked and, you know, and, and Paul and to, to look at what had happened with the early church because they wanted to, um, you know, much like people would go on a pilgrimage today, um, you know, the way of St. James in Spain, um, to look at these ancient ways where, you know, apparitions appeared and things like that. There was some of that. And then there were just, then there were people who ran out into the desert because the times, much in the same way that, um, and evade, evading sexual oppression, um, there was also just the ways of the world were so crazy. And that's where you got the desert fathers and mothers running out into the wilderness to seek God, right? Mm -hmm. But then you had those who simply felt the dynamics of go, right? And so they would go. And this nomadism would sometimes be for all of life and other times would be for a short season of their life. And you find that with, you know, the apostles, sometimes Peter's running around and sometimes he's there in Jerusalem and he's quite landed and settled. Um, Paul was the real radical among them all who was just like that the whole time. Um, and I, and there is something for every one of us. So the nomadism has both a, uh, a literal sense, but it also has in as I'm writing this, it has a figurative sense that fits with everybody. 
um, that there is something about that movement we learn of the gospel itself. Um, and, and Jesus had already modeled it for us, right? Right. And yeah. So, and I think one of the, one of the weird things we tend to do with our um, American um, means of travel is oftentimes we try to get rid of those um, inherently nomadic dynamics, even out of our travel. You go down the road and you can find that McDonald's will have the same exact hamburger that you have when you're back at home, right? Right. <laughs> um, and, <clears throat> you know, your Cracker Barrel will give you the same food. Um, and, and then we get an organized trip it, in which, you know, we'll, we'll be put into a hotel that has the same comforts of home, and then we'll be ferried around from place to place. And all of the questions that we might have of, well, what if I get lost? What if, um, you know, I, I don't speak the language? All of these things are pulled out of the way to make it easy for us. So it's be like being, just like being at home. And then some of those elements we talk about living by faith. We make sure to get everything out of the way so we don't have to. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's one of the things that the nomad knows all the time. He, he's got to live by faith. You know, am I going to find my friends when I get down the road? <laughs> Are we going to yeah. hang out together for a while and, and have something? Am I going to find a place to stop tonight? Um, you know, because if you're, uh, I, I was doing it like, um bob i forget his last name but the guy who runs the rubber tramp rendezvous and has a website called um uh cheaperrvliving.com and people in their vans and their motorhomes he's going to teach you how to live off of four hundred dollars a month wow because you're going to learn how to camp on the sly you know, you're going to know where there's um, state parks and federal parks where you can camp for 14 days at a time for free. Um, he'll, you know, he'll, he'll give you the, the guide for all that kind of stuff. And there's a network of people who learn this together. How do you do stealth camping, you know, and, and which Walmarts you can go to. I've got an app on my phone. I can find out if the Walmart in the next town allows people to stay at night. And then you learn how to sly things by, hey, you pull in someplace and you go, look, there's all those truckers over there and they're sleeping long enough for the night. I can do it too. You know, so I backed Priscilla up between a couple huge trucks. Looks like a little Tonka toy in the middle of it. <laughs> and <laughs> and you know and and that's you, you learn to live on the road like that um but you're not sure what's coming up next and you kind of have to sneak into stuff and talk to people and ask if this is okay and um and have friends along the road that you can stop with kind of you know kind of kind of like reading um uh some old tale where people are traveling along and they stop at the miller's house and you know and stay with him canterbury tale kind of stuff right um and and there's something both um challenging 
where you're wondering, is this going to be okay? And then faith giving, you know, and after doing it a few times, there's this whole network of people. They've been doing it for a while. They're old pros, <laughs> but they're, they're very much living by faith from place to place. Some of them have money and fancy motorhomes. Some of them are scrounging around from place to place, living on a prayer and in vehicles of various stages of injury and entropy. <laughs> that's, you know, that's. <laughs> it sounds like some of my early cars. Uh, you. Oh, oh man, <laughs> that's motorhome life. You know, right. when your when your house is traveling down the road at seventy miles an hour and things are bouncing around. There's just, there's going to be something go wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, in the subtitle of your book, you talk about this being a theology of mission for all people. Now, yeah. you and I know how uh, the American church works, right? I mean, it's a sedentary right. faith. It's a go-to place. It's a piece of real estate. And we talk a lot about, you know, yeah. the, the churches, the people, uh, not yeah. the building, right? Um, but in reality, you know, that, that's what it is. So how are you connecting this nomadic idea to the American church experience and assumptions? Yeah, that, yeah, that very much is the challenging part, right? Um, <clears throat> for every... For every meal that a nomad has, there's often a landed person who offers it. Not always. I had a lot of meals on the road or around a fire, you know, with other nomads. But there were many places where friends that I had across the United States in, you know, Maryland and uh, North Virginia um, and uh uh, North Carolina, sorry, <laughs> getting my Virginias and Carolinas mixed up. My, uh, uh, yeah, North Carolina, Florida, Mississippi, Texas, where people would say, we got a space for you. And now there is an openness to the road. You know, the, the road isn't just something we should be on. It's something that should lead to our door as Christians. Mm -hmm. And, and, and we should be able to begin to navigate a comfortableness with those who come in, as well as a comfortableness with going out. And so it becomes a, there's an entire chapter on the dynamics of hospitality, and how that ties into um, the gospel itself. And, and, and it does feel very much like a, um, an element of the gospel that when you read the early church fathers, and if you weren't hospitable, you weren't even a Christian. I, I, they were pretty hardcore about it, some of them. And, and that is not necessarily something we've held on to in church life. But now we become a part of that um, economy of the road by being hospitable to the stranger. And Jesus and his disciples depended on it, right? And so did Paul. And, and so in, in that way, we invest ourselves. This is how it becomes a theology of mission for all people, is that inherently the gospel 
has this moving thing and it wants a place at my table. Now it, it doesn't stay for long. <laughs> it wants to get up and go, right? And the moment we tame it to live here and to become a settled thing, we begin to lose some of the dynamics of it. And unless we can kick it out the door, whether we kick it out with somebody else or we apparently, you know, occasionally kick it out with ourselves, when once we tame it to live there, the wildness of it is lost. And then the wildness of it is lost. What kind of gospel is it? It just becomes another, no wonder it becomes political, you know? Right, right. Because we have a live at, we have it live at our home and, and answer our problems, which then are, you know, going to be answered by the politician um, who speaks to what we want or don't want. Um, or what they want. <laughs> yeah, what they what they want. They tell us that we want what they want too. Right. <laughs> and then we believe them. <laughs> well, how long uh, the book hasn't been out too long and I'm curious as to whether or not you've gotten feedback uh I'm really interested in how the the missions, American missions folks are going to perceive it because and and I've got yeah. you know I both have friends and colleagues in this yeah. And I'm very supportive of my degree from seminaries and intercultural studies and all of that. However, you yeah. and I have not exactly done the, the traditional kind of mission stuff. Oh uh, again, in the American context, the church tends to come up with the funds and we're, we're sending around the world. And uh, when we do mission again, it's, it's trying to, it's not funding a, a nomadic wild kind of thing. Again, it's planting right. stationary. Right. You're doing something very different in mission. So have you gotten any feedback yet? And if not, are you anticipating maybe a little pushback? Or do you see maybe yours could inhabit a space on kind of the fringes, the outer edges of traditional yeah, yeah, yeah. missions? So this, this is still too new to really tell. Yeah. I mean, there are, there are people who are really excited about it, but they tend to fall into that space that, a lot of them would say, I don't know, am I even evangelical anymore? Right. You know, post-evangelicals are looking at this and saying, well, yeah, I, you know, it was definitely something I was having a problem with, with church life. And it, it came, became wild in the wrong way. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And, and now a rewilding of the gospel seems like a, um, a positive thing. But you know, because it do, it does speak to the this inherent nomadism does speak to the um, the ability to do something without going down the financial the typical capitalistic route that a lot of people have felt burned by right and it also allows for a a leadership style that doesn't necessitate, you know, the man who runs everything from behind the desk, right? which has burned a lot of other people. So from, from those elements, I'm getting um, some really good early responses. They're, they're quite excited by it. Um, we'll see what begins to happen beyond that. Um, you know, I might, in in my next little endeavor in life, I'm headed to Wales. I'll uh, be making the flight. Hopefully, everything's changeable in these COVID days <clears throat> on May fourth. 
and uh, uh, putting semi-nomadic roots into North Wales. Because even from there, the Baptist Union of Wales is uh, sponsoring me um, to, when I say sponsoring, they're sponsoring the visa process. I, I, and it's a visa process that requires I raise my own money. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm a self-funded missionary in this sense. But they're sponsoring a visa that includes the fact that instead of pastoring a church, which is the standard idea, send a missionary to plant a church, right? Right. That I will be training people to work within festival settings and among subcultures in the UK. So I'm going to be training people, um, you know, like, like some of the people you and I know together, um, Steve Hollinghurst, um, you know, has, has been doing work among neo-pagans um, in the UK for quite some time. And I've been doing things with him. Uh, so, and then I've been traveling in festivals and trying to set up teams of people to work in those festivals. And I think of each of those places as what's, you know, all of a sudden, after me using the term for about 10 years and being ignored, now there's some people who uh, like the term a micro church. And I've been describing micro church as church anytime, any place. Let's go to a festival. And every year we'll show up and for these two weeks, set up the festival, it'll happen, we'll break down, and let's do it as a team and become a community that those festival goers, festival goers are interesting because they, they're not trying a different festival every year. Like Burning Man, they keep going to the same one because they love it, right? And, and so then they become part of our community. Hey, can we join your team? Yeah, <laughs> come and join us. That's what we're about. Um, you know, so in a sense, I look at that as a type of church planting. Um, you know, it's micro church, micro both in space of time as well as the number of people, and micro in terms of cost because you know you're not being, you're not having to buy a piece of land and throw up a building or pay the rent for that meeting space every week, um, and and so. Uh, that has grown significantly since we first started doing festival stuff in Salem back in 1999. You know, pretty soon um, after about six, seven years of the 20 years of being there, we had hundreds of people coming every October to do stuff with us. And then over the years, there were thousands that had been trained in it. And then pretty soon they had their own teams going to their own festivals. Um, Now I'm trying to recreate that dynamic again. um, But instead of being embedded into one place with its festival where the world came to us, I'm trying to now travel around and get people to, to stay in places, whether it's Burning Man events, music festivals. Um, And that allows me to train in a way that is hands-on, which, you know, we can only sit for so long in the room and talk about it. Unless, you know, unless we get off our butts (laughs) and go go to the place. Um, All we're doing is training for inactivity. Um, And and the amazing thing is there are a lot of people, they just don't need that training. They learn hands-on. And there, I mean, there's people, I, I take some festivals and I just go, 
I don't know why I'm here to help you. You got this. <laughs> Just take it and run with it. You're a natural. You know, Matt the pirate. You've met him, haven't you? Yo, uh, I don't think so. Okay. He's one of those guys, you know, he came to Burning Man. He first, he meets us in Salem and I'm just like, wow, this guy's perfect for all the October stuff we do. And then, you know, he comes to say, he comes to Burning Man and I mean, he just fits. He's a wacky madman. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't need any theological training. He loves Jesus. <laughs> he loves being crazy and he hangs out with people and he's a pirate 24 seven. There you, you go. Know? <laughs> got his own thumb. Brings his own thumb. There you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and 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 so you know, I I I ask myself often, how many people are just like that? That boy, we just just come with me. Let's go do the stuff. And I think there's a lot of pe- a lot of pastors who fall into that category as well. There's a lot of church leaders that you know where we're looking for. Okay, how do I do this? Give me the details about how I run this. But man, if you just get them out there and kick them in the butt and go, come on, let's go do it. It'll just fall into place for them, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so the dream is really, it's really based around that. And, and, and the book was born out of doing a whole lot of that and meeting people on the road who, you know, then challenged my concepts of how do I do the stuff with them? And, and oftentimes, you know, we, we know that our, we know that our salvation is not by works, it's by faith, and there's some kind of resting dynamic in it. But even our evangelism needs to be like that. There's a place where we're just with people and, and the, you know, that statement, be ready to give an answer of the hope that is within you. It actually happens sometimes. <laughs> well, you know, you're quoting First Peter three fifteen for folks who don't know, but it, it, there's always a part of that verse that uh, it amazes me how many times we just gloss over. Be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you. Yeah, not just constantly being out there giving answers to everybody, uh, but right. be with, rest with, develop relationships, and when you're asked, then answer. You know, but we're not right. No, we're asked. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's the thing. We never get asked, but, you know, because once we start pushing it, they don't want right. to hear, right? Right, and so there has to be something about us. The you know all the all the dynamics that we call salt and light, right? Well, salt makes you thirsty, but we never run into thirsty people. <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> the thing is, we do, but we don't allow them to acknowledge it. You know. Um, we have a tendency to be want to be the the evangelical answer before the problem is recognized, and so as soon as something pops up that seems contrary to what I believe, I have an answer for that. But that's often not even connected to you know the terminology we used to use was the felt needs, right? Right. It's not even connected to that kind of thing. It, it's. You know, what, what we think is the answer oftentimes isn't even related. It's not even a question that somebody has. Um, and, and we want to put it in hard black and white terms. And if they accept it, then you'll be saved. Right, right, right. <laughs> Invitation time. Yeah. Put it out there. Close the yeah, deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
exactly. I was never, you know, I was a, I was a bad Pentecostal evangelical. I was never good at altar calls as a pastor. And I was like, man, this seems so contrived. <laughs> yeah. I've never been good at sales, which is why I'm lousy at fundraising for my own ministry. So, you know, right. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and, 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 and uh, the altar call is like, taking the idea of an offering to the next level. Give me your life. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, we don't, we don't want your money. Give us everything. <laughs> That's what an altar call feels like, right? <laughs> Most of the time. Yeah. Now you're going to be going out and living this wild theology, living out, continuing to live out what you talk about in the book in Wales. Right. Can you tell people what are you going to be doing? Um, what do you need? Well, how can they partner all that good stuff? We'll include all the information about your book, oh, okay. link where they can order information okay. about your whales trip, all that in the program notes, but let people know. Well, so uh, May 4th is my date for landing in, uh, in the UK, making my way up to North Wales. And um, this, the, the, boy, this mission is a bigger step than... I moved from Southern California to Salem, Massachusetts. And, you know, anybody who's lived in both places know that the culture of New England is not the culture of Southern California, totally different. Um, and, and Salem has its own culture that's steeped in neo-paganism. So that was a big move. Wales, on the other hand, I'm going to be living in an area where it's 90 plus percent Welsh speaking. Um, and for people who don't know, Welsh is nothing like English. It's a Celtic language of the Brythonic um, branch of Celtic languages. <clears throat> so it's, it's very different from the Irish or the Scottish Gaelic. Um, the closest things are Breton, which um, is probably the second most vibrant uh, Celtic language in the world. Welsh is hands down far and away um, the most spoken in terms of the number of people who live in the language. Um, and it's about a third, uh, between a, a quarter and a third of the population of Wales. And where I'm moving, everybody speaks Welsh. Um, so I, I'm in that uncomfortable zone. If you're just learning Welsh now, you think I'm fluent. If you're fluent, you're looking at me like you got a long way to go, bro. <laughs> so, so I, I've got to learn to live in Welsh um, up in Caernarvon, North Wales, um, in the northwest of Wales. And I'll be working with the uh, Baptist Union of Wales in the Bedadoir Cymru. And so, yeah, I am raising my own money. I've... Uh, I've, I've paid, already paid for the visa process, and I probably have about six months of money that's saved to live on, which I need, you know, they're like, this is what you need if you're going to live here. Right. Um, and I, then I'm raising monthly support. I'm about halfway, um, even the monthly support is, is still a moving target. You know, some people are giving a set amount and some people give as they can each month, but I'm about 50% of the way in raising what needs to be somewhere near about 1500 pounds a month. 
um, for when, you know, I, I finally do get uh, a place rented. I had one that was, uh, looked like it was going to happen. And then the owners of it, instead of deciding to rent, they decided to sell. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm still on the hunt for a place. Um, in the second year of my living there, I'm planning to do, I'm planning to go fully nomad again. I'm going to walk around the country of Wales by foot from village to village, um, try and organize walks where people walk and talk with me. I stop in pubs and play a gig, um, you know, walk with people who do history tours. But the plan is not to speak anything but Welsh for an entire year. And, uh, and that will be really interesting because there's places where they speak, they speak nothing but Welsh, but their dialect. I just look at them like, I have no idea what you just said. <laughs> I, I, I jokingly say, it's just like they're repeating the longest town name in the world over and over. You know, just over from where I'm moving in Carnarvon is the town of <laughs> you know, which is something like the Church of St. Mary by the White Hazel at the Whirlpool. You know, it's, it's, um, but uh, uh, sometimes it just sounds like that. I have no idea what you just said. And then other places, nobody will speak English, will, will be able to speak Welsh, but I won't speak any English. You know, so it's a, it, it, it's a, it's something to try and identify with the Welsh, that subculture of Welsh language speaking people who, do in a very well way, a very strong way, feel oppressed um, by the fact that there's been opposition to their language for centuries. But oh, they've been a stubborn people. They still have the most vibrant of Celtic languages in the world. They've kept that alive somehow. So, um, you know, it's my way of saying I identify with you, and I, you know, here I am. I'm an American, and I'm I'm not going to speak any English for a year. Uh, so. Uh, I do have a, uh, a newsletter that I send out and what I do, I'll, I'll send you the link where people can, you know, click on and, uh, sign up for that newsletter. Uh, they can, they can find me at, uh, burningreligion.com, um, which is, is the place where it, also wildtheology.org goes straight to that same site. Um, so it's the place where my books and a lot of my blogging tends to happen. Um, and, you know, if they want to donate, there's, there's a link on that as well, where they can donate either in a one-time or an ongoing um, monthly basis. Um, I, I've been really surprised how generous people had been. I had to keep quiet about this for a while because the, the church in Carnarvon first had to all agree, yeah, this this crazy guy from, you know, from Salem, Massachusetts, via California. He's okay. We like him. And, <clears throat> and then uh, the Baptist Union had to, you know, get to know me and, you know, and trust me. I don't know how they did. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, you know, and then it was kind of all uh, you know, last minute, all of a sudden, this is just back in like November I think it was December. Um, I felt like, okay, now I have the go ahead to tell people exactly what I'm doing, not just 
I'm moving to Wales and I'm not sure when, but here's who I'm working with and what I'm doing. So it wasn't until like early January, I was actually doing any fundraising. Um, and um, the amount that people jumped in on initially was pretty phenomenal. I was like, oh, what? <laughs> you know, the, but, but it's easier to raise the money for things like the visa process right. for the first, you know, six months of being there than it is the ongoing, right. yeah. you know, the revolving support. So um, that's where I am right now and needing to raise some more of that and to find a place to plant my hiney in that first year before I walk around the country. <laughs> so, Well, I, I wish you well, my friend. Again, folks can look in the program notes and find this information. And uh, I encourage folks to support good Pastor Phil in this upcoming endeavor. And of course, we're going to include a link. I'm going to hold it up again. And you can do it too if you yeah. want. We can have a, a stereo stereo video there we go love big or go home grab it it's an awesome book (laughs) and uh take it to heart give it to your pastor and uh give it to your missions uh if you're in a church and you got a missions program give it to to them to take a look at uh yeah it was it it was interesting i i was at a, a church in ramona california and they you know had a missions uh group that i sat and spoke with and it is interesting. It something like this is outside the box for them. And they were like, what? We don't get it. And oh, now we get it. And uh, and they got excited and said, yeah, we want to help here. So sometimes we just need to hear and see the stories that things can be different in the way we've standardly done our Christianity. Uh, and if that doesn't start happening, I don't know what's going to happen to the church in America. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I hear you. And, and in Wales and in the UK, they're already ahead of us in being a post Christian kind of culture. Right. Yeah. Um, so in some sense, Christians are more open when they've had a longer time to sit on their need. <laughs> yeah. We tried the same thing over and over. <laughs> it's not working. <laughs> <laughs> well, my friend, it's always uh, always a pleasure. I'm glad uh, we were able to connect again. It's it yeah, we'd exchanged some text messages and emails, but that's not nearly good. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, hope, good to see your face. You're looking good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I don't know about that. Well, I hope this conversation helps promote the book and uh, maybe get you out there and get some more support. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, always good to have you on the program, man. Oh, thank you.